Hello! <laughs> Welcome to the Together for Good podcast brought to you by Bethany Lutheran Church in Cherry Hills Village, Colorado. We are on week four of Advent, and we've been doing a four-part series on the different themes that each week kind of has connected to it. Week four of Advent is the week of love, and so we will be studying 1 Corinthians chapter 13 together, that famous love poem that you've heard read at every wedding you've ever been to. (laughs) I'll be leading us through a, a nice study of all that, and hopefully you'll never hear it the same way again. Uh, So here we go, a Bible study on the theme of love. All right, look at us. Look at us. We made it to the fourth week of Advent. And so we've made it to part four of this four-part series on the different Advent themes. Um, uh, There's some disagreement, I should have mentioned this at the start, about what the different weeks of Advent necessarily stand for, but in a lot of the circles that I've run in over my years of ministry, these have been the four. Week one is hope, week two is peace, week three is joy, and week four is love. Ah, nice place to end, huh? Well, and so because the week, um, the final week of Advent is the week of love, the scripture passage we're going to be looking at is that super famous passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is the one that gets read at every single wedding because it talks about love and it makes it sound so wonderful and great. And it's funny um, because these pa- this passage is used almost all the time in weddings, I don't often have the chance to really dig in and talk about what this passage is actually addressing and, and the background to what's going on here, because it wouldn't really be appropriate in a wedding sermon for me to do all this exegetical work, but that's what we're going to get to do here today. <laughs> I've been saving this up through the dozens and dozens of weddings that I've presided over over the years, and so now you're going to get a lot of details about 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and this whole theme of love. Just a little bit of a backdrop as we think about all this. Um, It's the fourth week of Advent, and the fourth week is this week of love. And I think that that's really pertinent. Um, The birth of a child is this overwhelming experience of love that's kind of hard to describe. Um, And when, you know, a new child is born... That that's basically the only emotion that I knew how to feel at that point in time. I guess it was also relieved um, that everything was okay. But yeah, you just feel such incredible love for your newborn child. And so I think that that's a neat way to end Advent as we're about to turn our focus towards the birth of Jesus and, you know, all the love that was present with Mary and Joseph as they brought their first child into the world. But then even more to the point, right? The the idea of the incarnation, of God becoming human for our sake. That's what Christmas is all focused on. And that's all about love too, isn't it? I Someday, um, you might hear this in a Christmas Eve sermon, um, but I've talked before about how the greatest Christmas movie is Home Alone, because Home Alone is all about being with the ones you love. That's the whole theme of the movie. And I think that that's, frankly, the whole theme of the Christmas gospel as well. God just wanted to be with the ones that God loves. And that's why God becomes human in the person of Jesus. 
that's why <laughs> we celebrate Christmas and God's promise to us. It's all about love. So it seems appropriate for the journey of Advent to end with a focus on love. And so that's why we're turning our attention now to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to go, you know, give you uh, some backdrop just so you understand, right? The first letter to the Corinthians is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. Um, and Paul is the one who originally established the Corinthian church. So, right, like Paul plants this church, then he keeps going on his travels to start more churches. And he's writing them a letter because he's heard about some of the stuff that's going on there. And uh, what you need to know about Corinth is that Corinth was like Las Vegas. It was a happening cosmopolitan town. And there was lots going on there. It's right on the sea. And so it's like a port town, right? A lot of exchange of ideas and goods and people from different lands. Um, and so there's many different practices in the city of Corinth. And so there was, a, you know, it was ripe for conflict and contradiction with what was being taught in the Corinthian church. You know, there's this one way of practicing the Christian faith, but then people are hearing all sorts of other ideas because they lived in such a cosmopolitan city. And so there was lots of quarreling in the church and lots of questions about worship practices and spiritual gifts. And that's where a lot of conflict started. And that's a lot of what Paul's trying to address by writing this specific letter, his first letter to the Corinthians. One other little piece to note, um, Paul uh, is known to have the gift of speaking in tongues. That's something that we see. Um, and obviously speaking in tongues isn't something that uh, you see too often in Lutheran churches, um, but it is talked about in the Bible quite a bit, this overwhelming um, experience of the Holy Spirit that causes an individual to speak in different languages. Um, and apparently Paul had this gift. And so that's, scholars wonder if part of, you know, part of the struggle within the Corinthian church was that they put a real premium on speaking in tongues. And, and they really felt like that was a very important gift for Christians to have. And so Paul actually spends a lot of time in his letter to the Corinthians, his first letter, um, kind of putting the speaking of tongues in its proper place, um, right? He's like, yeah, this is one of the spiritual gifts, but there are many spiritual gifts and you need all of them for the church to be the church. And frankly, um, if you can speak in tongues, but you don't have love, then that's really, you're kind of missing the point. So he's doing a lot of work just trying to set the expectations of the Corinthians in terms of how they understand this one spiritual gift. And again, probably part of the reason that the Corinthians valued speaking in tongues so highly is because it was a gift that Paul had. And again, Paul's the one who started the church. So you kind of know, right, like, if this is the guy who starts the church, you begin to think that all Christians have to be exactly like that guy. You get where this is going. So all that, I, I just think that's helpful context. And you'll see why as we start to read through this chapter of 1 Corinthians. So here we go. If I speak in tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if, I'll, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. So I'll stop there after those two verses. And I kind of gave you some of these details in my little introduction. 
the Corinthians really valued speaking in tongues. And, and actually, in the chapter before this, chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul spends a lot of time talking about spiritual gifts. And that's that famous passage about um, how the if the body was all ears, then where would the sense of smell be? It's Paul talking and trying to say, like, yes, there's many spiritual gifts, and that's okay. You don't have to focus just on one spiritual gift. And he's kind of now transitioning that thought into talking about the importance of love um, and that being the hallmark of a Christian community. And so I just want to make sure I'm following all my notes. He is setting himself up as the fall person here. Paul is. Um, in hopes that the Corinthians will internalize his message. Rather than call them out directly for their mistakes, what Paul's doing is he's using himself, right? The church's founder as a negative example, right? Like, so he's talking about speaking in tongues. He's talking about prophetic powers, two pieces that often get related to Paul. And he's using himself as a negative example, saying like, if I can speak in tongues, if I can have prophetic powers, but I'm not loving, I'm totally missing the point. And so, right, like, it's a really clever writing move on his part to try and get the Corinthians on his side, to be like, hey, listen, you know, you, you guys need to be self-reflective here and think about how you're missing the mark. I'll tell you how I'm missing the mark. Now you try. <laughs> That's kind of what Paul's doing. And so now he gives a third example um, in verse three. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. This time he's talking about two actions that would have been viewed favorably within any Christian community, giving away possessions and sacrificing one's body, one's life. And again, he's making the claim that these actions are nothing without love. So he's really trying to set the Corinthians up to understand just the importance of being a loving community. And now he's going to describe the positive attributes of love. And this is going to sound very familiar. Here we go. Verse four. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So in these three verses, or these four verses, Paul kind of goes in and out of the positive and negative attributes of love, right? Love is patient, love is kind. Oh, but also love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Oh, but then love believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things. Um, in all of this, Paul describes love in such a way that it's obvious that love involves another person. That's really... Unity. He's writing to a church and he's trying to say, like, you guys just have to love each other. You know, you can't just be caring about yourself. And so all of his examples are pointing outward, which is, I think, really important. It seems so obvious. And yet that's often where we get hung up. Um, we think that we're being loving, but we don't realize the ways that our actions are affecting someone else. And then um, it, it's very clear too. love has never held in oneself. It's always linked to another. I kind of just already said that. Sorry, I'm reading my notes here. Um, and so in verse 7 as well, Paul is kind of planting the seeds. He's bringing in the themes of faith 
and hope. Love bears all things, it believes all things, endures and hopes for all things. You, you probably didn't realize how that connects later on with that famous part, now faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. Paul's already told us that in verse 7. Um, let's keep going. We're going to read verse 8 now. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. Again, Paul is referencing his gifts, prophecies, tongues, knowledge. And they're all highly important themes to the Corinthian church, partially because Paul established it, but also just because of where they were, right? Like this is a big city church, and so they value knowledge and the exchange of ideas, um, and Paul's trying to help them see that love is uh, over and above all of this other stuff. Because love is something that doesn't end. Whereas all these other gifts are finite and fleeting, the love that we share with one another, the love that we show to one another, that has ongoing everlasting effects. Love is something that first comes from God and then continues through us towards others. So in a way, unlike faith or unlike hope or unlike spiritual gifts and knowledge, love is, never ends. It's completely cyclical. I think there's just so much to explore with that idea of what Paul's getting at there. And, and that famous line that God is love, which we read in 1 John. But, but just this sense that love is something that God outpours to us. There's a lot of beautiful theological writing about this, about how um, the Trinity, right? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit exist in this community of love. And the love kind of cycles between these three um, different beings. And then the outpouring of that love is what causes creation to begin. Kind of crazy and hard to explain, and I'm not sure I even fully understand it. <laughs> but, but to think about the outpouring of love being how God creates. It's really beautiful. And then, again, how we then pass that love on to others, this whole cyclical nature of it, it never ends. Whereas all these other gifts and all these other pieces have expiration dates, the love that we share, the love that we give, hopefully then gets passed on to another and another. You know, it's all very pay-it-forward type of idea. Now, uh, moving on in our reading, we're at verse 9. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. Paul's just reiterating point. Everything about this life is only partial. But when Christ returns, all creation will be complete and whole again. And on that day, partial things like faith and hope and prophecy and spiritual gifts and knowledge will all come to an end. They'll all be useless because of the love of Christ coming back into the world. That's what it's all about. And that's where everything finds its completion. All right, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. Well, that, maybe you did, Paul, but not me. Um, <laughs> Paul's kidding at here, right? The Corinthians know that Paul exceeds them in knowledge, in his ability to speak in tongues. And yet here he is making the claim that all is partial compared to what is to come. 
Again, Paul is constantly setting himself up as a negative example in this because he knows about his heightened um, value within the Corinthian church. They think so highly of him, so he's constantly putting himself down in order to make his point. And he's thinking about, you know, the incompleteness of all that is within this world. And yet, Paul's vision is always for the future. When Christ returns, when the fullness of God's love comes and puts the world back together, then all that is partial will be complete. So that's a lot of what he's talking about here. Verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, but then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. What we see and experience now in this life, Paul says, is like looking into a dim mirror versus the beauty and the full reality of what comes next. So even those glimpses of God, those glimpses of beauty that we might have in this lifetime, Paul's saying it pales in comparison to the fullness and completeness of living in Christ's love when Christ returns. And now, Faith, hope, and love abide, these three. And the greatest of these is love. So Paul's concluding his whole little poem here by saying that as for now, at this present moment, faith, hope, and love are the three most important practices of the Christian faith. Not spiritual gifts, not knowledge. Faith, hope, and love are the most essential ingredients that the Corinthians can focus on. And of those three, love is primary. The greatest is love because love will endure even beyond the present moment. <laughs> so this is so much. Paul's constantly thinking about the future, about Christ coming back, um, and, and trying to help the Corinthians put their priorities in order, if you will. And what's interesting, right, of these three, faith, hope, and love, love is the one of all three that we share most fully with God. God doesn't have any need for faith or hope. That's not something that God does. But love is. Love is the essence of God. And so there's something very holy, very sacred, very divine about committing to the practice of loving others and putting that as primary and as our focus. That connects us with God in real ways. Yes, faith and hope are important, but God doesn't faith or hope. <laughs> right? God doesn't have need to believe in God's self. It's all confusing and gets muddled. But God does love constantly. And we are most like, most connected to God when we are loving others. That's why Paul's saying it's the greatest and why it's the most important. You can see the ways that it is primary. Additionally, love is also what the Corinthians were lacking most at that point of time. And when you lack love, that is very quickly the easiest way for a community to fall apart, right? Even though the Corinthians had faith and they had hope and spiritual gifts and knowledge, but they weren't treating each other with love. And so nothing else was really working. You see the logic, right? We've heard that phrase so many times. Faith, hope, and love abide. And the greatest of these is love. You may kiss the bride, but... <laughs> Have you thought to just think about the implications of that? It's so true. When a church doesn't commit itself to loving their neighbors, loving one another, and being in community together, 
the rest of it can kind of fall apart. Who, who really cares about whatever great programs or preaching or music or faith or hope or spiritual gifts or any of the other stuff? It's all secondary to love, which is exactly what Paul's talking about. Um, moving on in this book, in this letter to the Corinthians, Paul won't reference love anymore but will instead turn his focus in the remaining chapters in this first letter of the Corinthians on the edification and the upbuilding of the church. But those two pieces, edification and the upbuilding of the church, they're linked to love. This is how the church will be edified and how it will be built up through love. The clear point of all of this, of this whole letter, is that without love, the church can't survive. Love needs to be our main focus in all things. It's what connects us with God. It's what connects us with one another. It's what gives us the patience to be community together. So friends, on this fourth week of Advent, as we look towards Christmas and the way that God loves us by becoming vulnerable for our sake, it's a good reminder of just how important uh a stance and a mindset of love is for one another, for those we don't know. I mean, love is kind of what makes the whole thing tick. And yeah, that we can be disappointed. <laughs> we can, you know, believe there are better ways of going about what we're doing. But if we don't have love, we're totally missing the point. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed this uh, Bible study series on the four weeks of Advent. I hope you enjoyed this look at 1 Corinthians 13. You're going to hear it totally differently at all the weddings that you go to in the future, I'm sure. Um, but above all, hey, just uh, just love each other. That's what the pastor said to me on my wedding day. Well, I was before the service and I turned to him. I said, hey, so any advice? Kind of as we were awkwardly waiting up there up front. And he just said, just love each other. I think uh, that would be Paul's advice to the church as well. Just love each other. I'm Pastor Nate. This has been an Advent Bible studies for the fourth week on love and looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Thanks for listening, everyone. Stay in peace.